Welcome to another episode of the M&A Mastermind Podcast, your go-to source for the latest industry trends and strategies to help you level up your M&A practice. As always, I am your host, Nick Olson, Managing Director of Cornerstone International Alliance, the only international alliance of M&A firms who focus on the lower middle market. Um, here, we bring in guests who are true masters of their crafts, or experienced, knowledgeable, and gracious enough to share how they've succeeded in the world of M&A. Um, today's guest is... Um, I'm really excited about. He is um, a member of Cornerstone International Alliance. He's been in the M&A space for over 22 years, been a business owner himself. Um, he has played hockey for over 55 years and still currently plays. Um, he is part a big integral part of the number one graduate entrepreneur, entrepreneurship program in the country for the last four years, um, top three in the last six. That is... Uh, um, the, the program at Rice University, which I know he's very excited about and proud of. Um, today's guest, he is with Exit Advisors out of Houston, Texas, Al Danto. Al, waka, welcome to the show. Appreciate you taking the time out today and really excited Thanks, about Great to be here. On Great to be here. And the topic you. at hand, so. which we'll dive into in a, in a couple of minutes. But first, um, want to just learn more about you um, and what got you into the M&A industry. <laughs> Yeah, sure, Nick. I'll try to kind of encapsulate 40 years in, you give me here maybe five minutes, so, but I've, I've done it enough. So, you know, I started out, uh, I started as a, a print distributor. I distributed printing in envelopes. I actually started out of my apartment. I'll date myself. It was the mid 80s in, in Houston, and, and I was working installing computer systems for the NCR Corporation, and uh, we were changing manual systems over to automated systems, and one of the things that we needed were were business forms, uh, invoices, checks, multi-part forms that ran through the old Spock, sprocket-fed computers, and they had to go in an envelope. And um, I was responsible when the system went live for making sure that we had all the reports set up and we had all the forms that we needed and everything was ready to go. And, and I ran into a bottleneck on envelopes, of all things. Uh, my, my local envelope manufacturer was, uh, you know, they are having some trouble getting product out the door, kind of going through a death spiral. Oil, oil was about single digits back then, so Houston's very cyclical. Where I'm at, we're in a down cycle. Uh, so I needed to make sure we got these envelopes for us. And, and he had a trade magazine. He said, hey, I can get these envelopes from other trade ma uh, manufacturers. They don't have sales reps. And uh, we signed on. We started the classic envelope. Uh, and then we uh, eventually, his company went out of business, and, and we brought on three of their sales reps, and, and we started selling envelopes in Houston through these uh, manufacturers to big companies. I mean, big, well-known companies, some of the big oil companies, banks, everything that they had. We started to do the same thing with business forms and printing. Uh, we were a distributor. I quit, I quit my job. Uh, my roommate was at uh, Price Waterhouse. Uh, he came on board as a CPA, and then we... Uh, we started distributing envelopes and printed products. We had an opportunity pretty early on to buy one of our manufacturing companies. We had become the biggest distributor for them. We bought the we bought the company, um, the relationship we had at the bank, and went on a tear. I guess we bought about uh, 14, 15 uh, printing companies. We, we we grew through acquisitions. We expanded na nationally through catalog sales, and then along along the way, we became a vendor for um, for actually big sure, big well known uh, beer company. Can I can I announce names on here? So it was for Anheuser-Busch, so we became a preferred vendor for them, and we started to sell uh, business forms to uh, their distributors nationwide. And we did the same thing for Miller, Coors, and others, so we started to develop these niche industries we'd go after and 
came up with catalogs back in the day. We mail out catalogs, and then uh, we supplied different industries, dry cleaners, travel agencies. <laughs> right. you know, we were killing so many trees back then in the 80s and 90s, right? And uh, we, we just grew, and, the, and then a really unique thing happened. Um, I was at the National Beer Wholesalers Conference in Las Vegas, and I saw one of our forms with a circle and a line through it. It said, no more forms, ask us how. And I went up, and I saw the first... Uh, <laughs> First kind of electronic keypad. And it said, we're going to replace all this paper. And, and I said, you know, maybe it's time for me to get out. That was writing on the wall. So I had been approached by a lot of investment bankers and stuff in our industry. And I, I called one that was doing most of the deals. And he said, yeah, you know, you got a, a good company. Um, you're unique. We had no, none of the common risks that I think you'd find in a printing company, right? We had a lot of diversification, some big names, uh, all, all that stuff. So we got a good offer and, and sold the company. Uh, just before I'd sold the company, I had gone back to Rice. I got my MBA at Rice. A little bit later on, I went to a weekend program. Uh, I got my MBA, and uh, one of my classmates came up with a startup idea, and I said, that's a great idea. I, I backed her idea with some capital that I had. And um, uh, Rice asked us to come back and start telling the story. So we told the story. They turned it into a case. I started to pick up a class here and there and, and came on. and and then so. Post-acquisition, after I sold the company, um, I started to teach and, and, and share the knowledge that I that I had built up. I'm very fortunate to be in the right place. Rice was committed to entrepreneurship. Uh, and like you said, over the last uh, 20, 20 years that I've been involved, we've, we've built the uh, program in the number one entrepreneurship program in the country, graduate school, uh, through a lot of, a lot of different uh, support capital that we have, ideas, technology that comes out, but Rice is committed to entrepreneurship. And then people started to reach out to me. They said, hey, you've done this for a long time. You have an MBA from from a well-known university. And, and people started to reach out to kind of help them through the process. So um, I've helped them through the acquisition process. I just hung a shingle um, and started to advise people through the process. I became a certified valuation analyst. I uh, started to do valuation. And, and you know, I've, I've just kind of been fascinated with the whole uh, M&A process. I, I learned it informally and organically in my 20s, and then I came back to and learned the kind of formal side of it, um, you know, later when I got my MBA, and, I, and now I teach it, and I've, and I've taught it. So I teach our classes there. I teach classes on startup, and I also teach classes on buying a small business. Uh, so it's called Entrepreneurship Through Acquisition, and I teach class on, on, on valuation, valuing small Very businesses. Cool. So. Uh, Appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share a little, little bit yeah, of the knowledge that that's, I've that's gained over, so, uh, over 40 years. So. <laughs> uh, very, uh, very storied career uh, so, thus far. And, yeah. um, you know, I think it's just amazing that you're part of, you know, the number one entrepreneurship program um, in in the country. And, you know, as 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 an entrepreneur yourself, and really we're, we're, we're working with entrepreneurs, um, you know, helping them sell their businesses and things like that. Um, and so it's, it's, I think it's just, you know, every day is a new day. Um, but you know, we're here to talk about, you know, a topic that in my opinion and everything that I've heard being in this industry, you know, I don't hear a lot of conversations about you and I have talked recently about it. And I think, you know, from what you've told me, it's like, it's almost like a light bulb goes off like, yeah, wow. Like that could be a game changer if you consider, you know, these kinds of things. And so here we're, we're, we're here to talk about, you know, risk um and perceived risk and so let's talk about the risk and the fear to start out um you know you 
you got a couple of stories which I think are cool, so I'll let you kind of dive in and and um, tell those stories. But um, yeah, yeah, risk and fear. What what do you what do you think is relevant uh, for us to learn about today with uh, risk and fear? Yeah, I, I guess we think about the formal side of evaluation, right? And we, we hear discount rate, capital capitalization rates, and everything. Well, that, that's the risk. That's the uncertainty. And and the more uncertain something is, the more you discount it back, the lower your value is. It's a real simple concept to get. You know, one example that I have is the very first company I ever bought. I mean, I was scared to death. I was 26 years old. We bought this company, and we it was probably the best due diligence that I ever did because it was the first time I ever did it. But we we looked at everything, I mean, inside and out, and then we made sure one of the sellers stayed on board, and we kept a third of the uh, you know the purchase price. We held it back, and we and we paid it out over time. I was scared to death, right? I had this incredible amount of fear coming in here. I didn't know anything about manufacturing. So we we tried to mitigate this risk, and this is what buyers do all the time. Now, when I was 26 and I did it for the first time, I was it was just gut. I was just scared to death. I could I couldn't fail. We put everything on the line pretty much to go out and buy this company and get in the manufacturing business. So so all the risks that you'd look at when you do a formal valuation. Now I did back there at 26. Now I can talk about it. I could teach it in the classroom and everything. But we went through everything. Um, just kind of by the gut. And then ultimately we said, you know, if we're going to do this transaction, we want the seller to stay on board to, min- to minimize mm-hmm. this risk. And, you know, what we're, what we look at it from a formal standpoint, right, from an academic standpoint, you say, okay, we have to put an academic process or a, a, maybe a theory behind this. Um, so the, the, the theory is this, which um, it's called the prospect theory. And basically what we do as humans we overemphasize the downside risk more than we value the upside gain. And these two behavioral uh, economists, uh, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, they won a Nobel Peace Prize for, for, for figuring this out. And, you know, you ask me, and anytime anyone asks me to talk about one thing, if I could say one thing to people, what would it be? You know, it would be this. It's the thing that I wish I knew then, but I know now, is how our fear drives our uh, decisions, our investing decisions. And, you know, I was around in, in 1987, um, Black Monday in 2001 and 2008. And at that time was pulling back. We all pulled back. But that was the time to really be buying, be stepping in buying because this fear drove us on the downside. And then on the opposite side, these huge swings, right? In, in Houston and Texas, when oil hits $100 a barrel, we think it's going to be 150 It normally ends up being below 50 right? Because <laughs> we've got this this, this this fear and this greed that kind of kind of drives us, but this this fear and, and and this perception of risk, you know, we overemphasize it on the downside. We really have a hard time looking at it objectively. So um, I, I use a couple examples, and one of them is that if I ask you, what do you think has happened in the crime rate in America since 1990, violent crime? Every what would you think initially? I would say it's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's actually improved by 50%. Violent crime in America is down over 50%. But we don't think that because of what we see in TV and our perception our perception of it, right? And uh, I use another example of a bungee cord jump. Um, most people are scared to bungee cord jump. But bungee cord jumping, if you look at it statistically, it's, it's pretty safe. And you know, all my engineers in the classroom and engineers out there say, they can say, yeah, it's an engineered thrill, right? I mean, there's only a few points of failure. 
but you're five times more likely to die just getting up and going to work every day. That's crazy. But you don't you don't you don't get up with this fear every morning and say I'm scared to go to work like you would if you stood up you know in an 800 foot bungee cord jump. So this carries over into our all of our actions and it it really is prevalent in uh, in M and A. It creates a lot of uh, interesting dichotomies um, uh, out there between the buyer and, and, and the seller. And when you understand that and you start to think it through. I think I think you're right. It's it's most people have an aha moment as they start to realize this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I said, you know, in your normal activities, like you said, getting up out of bed, going to work, like that, and then that fear isn't necessarily there until you know you you kind of bring that fear up yourself or you know external you know um, things that come into your you know your daily life. But when you're working on a deal, you know, I mean that fear is present all over the place from the buyer side, from you as an M&A advisor, from your client's perspective. And um, so what, what, a, how does, how does that influence, you know, all the players in an M&A, you know, yeah. potential deal? So what it, what it does is basically from the buyer side, the buyer is that bungee cord jumper, right? Risk is asymmetric. If I'm going to buy your business. I don't know what you know. There's any skeletons, mm-hmm. problems, issues, challenging. But from the outside, I'm going to assume the worst because of this natural human tendency that, that we have. Mm-hmm. So as a buyer and I look at your business, I'm going to assume the worst. So all these, any any potential risk that you have in the business, right? And we'll, we'll walk through some of these risks. Um, I'm going to overemphasize that on, on the downside where you, you're not going to worry about it as much, right? You know? I like to drive cars with a lot of miles on them. Uh, I, I happen to have a, an Explorer that has 200,000 miles on it. Every time I get in there and start it, I never, I've never had a problem. Right? But if you look at yeah. that car to buy it, you're going to think about, oh, my God, 200,000 miles. What's going on? Is it taking care of it? Is it a problem? Is it going to break down? Uh, everything. But to me, so we have a big difference. So you've looked look kind of at a common bid and ask, like in stocks. Um, I, I don't have, I don't see the same risk that you see. So when you value mm-hmm. any cash flow, you're valuing it based on the risk, right? And, and so, some, so until we really take care of these downside risks and we, and we get them out and we're clear on them, um, the buyer is going to really hold back on what their what their offer will be in a price. Now, in a, as an objective third-party valuation analyst, I have to take the fear out of it and I have to look at it objectively. Mm-hmm. So when I come in and evaluate a company and you look at the company-specific risk or external risk, market risk, you have to try to value them objectively. But it's really hard to do for a buyer to do that. Mm-hmm. So. Do you think do you think they that that the fear of or that risk is something that they're subconsciously doing or consciously thinking about? Well, you know, I think it's I think it's both. I think it's certainly subconscious, but it's manifested in a low ball offer, right? It's manufactured. So yeah. there's, there's a few, only a few things we can do with risk, right? Uh, what can we do? We ignore it. We walk away. Say it's too risky. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bungee cord jump. It's too risky. Mm-hmm. We can mitigate. We can mitigate it. We can come in there and find some ways that we can mitigate it. Maybe through insurance. Maybe through a seller note. Maybe through uh, keep keeping the owner involved some somehow in the company. Uh, you 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 can do mm-hmm. that, or we can accept it. So when risk becomes okay, we'll go out and we'll 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 accept that. Right. Every day we get in the car. 
and we drive, we have a risk of you know, something very unfortunate. We could, we could die, right? But we, we accept that risk. Mm -hmm. So the key is when you look at improving value, right, is, to, is to really mitigate those common risks that are associated with buying a small company. And the, the more you mitigate those risks, the easier it is to accept and the higher uh, offer, the higher value I'm willing to, I'm willing to give. So uh, in the classroom, we uh, talk about valuation in a bell curve, right? And we talk about an industry average. So if an industry average is a four, let's say a four multiple, well, some, I mean, that's just a middle point. Some companies are going to be for the same exact amount of revenue and cash flows. Some companies may have a two, two x valuation. Some may have a five x valuation, right? Uh, and and really, mm -hmm. it's the the risk as those are mitigated, as those risks are mitigated. Uh, that's that's where we see value um, improve. And I'll I'll walk through a few of those for you in a bit. Yeah, that'd be. I mean, um, how does you know, um, what are, I guess, what are some of those common risks that you're referencing, you know, when, a, when, a, you know, that impact a, a business yeah, owner? The, you know, the, the biggest risk of buying any small business, is what happens when the owner leaves, right? So is, if, if the owner can mm -hmm. just say that the, you know, they're not, they're not the day to day, they're not the engine that drives the, uh, that drives the business, right? That the business can survive without them. And and what's the evidence of that? You know, how how often have you been on vacation? How have you been gone? What are your processes? What are your systems? What are your controls? Do you use something like a you know entrepreneur's operating system, an EOS system? Do you have uh, a good solid management team that's tied to the business, right? They're not going to get up and 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 and, wa and walk away. Are there maybe non-competes in place? Are there incentives for the management team? Are they willing to stay on? Is the owner willing to stay on? Right. Um, you know, external factors can be, uh, you know, the competition in the area. What's what's the competition? How are you different than the competition? How do you stand out from the competition? Uh, what are your Google reviews, your Yelp reviews, right? I mean, one of the biggest things uh, that we see, if you have poor Google reviews, poor online reviews, um, it's really hard to get over that. And that's a really big devaluer in a business in today's market, right? the reputation in the market place right um mm -hmm. your financials are they clean have you had a quality of earnings done are they are they audited are, can i trust and verify uh your your financials right um you know the history of the company you've been involved in any lawsuits all, all these risks are evaluated Cert, certainly in due diligence on a, on a very formal basis but but ahead of time before that offers made all this all this is put together um you know Customer concentration, customer turnover, customer churn. How quickly are you going through turning your customers over versus your competitors? Uh, and then you know there's there's uh, industry ratios and stuff that you can you can compare uh, and look at as well. So you know this is what uh, a buyer is going to do before they write a big check. Investors are are, are going to do it. You know we, we just got done with a. Um, it was a relatively smaller transaction, about six million dollars, but it was uh, private equity. They spent seven hundred thousand dollars on due diligence, digging into all this stuff. Right, and at the end of the day, the the the, the seller had, I mean, they had, they were very clean, they were great, and they, they passed with flying colors, and and they had a really relative high valuation in terms of multiples um, relative to the industry. But they deserved it, right? They deserved it because they had taken a lot of this risk out. Where for a company, on, on the other hand, hadn't. 
you know, they don't deserve that high of a, a valuation. And it really comes down again mm-hmm. to, you know, a lot, a lot of this risk. And then the, the problem is once there's a perceived risk problem in there, it's like, uh oh, oh, I'm gonna back off. And then we have this wider, you know, kind of bid ass, this wider spread that that happens um, in there. And that's a. Um, how do you get over like? Mm-hmm. What are some strategies that you've used, you know, and in, in your history to kind of perceive the risk could be, um, you know, it can be that it can be perceived or it can be real. But, um, you know, how do you? What strategies have you used to help the buyer get over that quote unquote perceived risk to kind of flip it on the other yeah, side? Yeah, you, and make you it do a, make it a positive. positive. I mean, a- absolutely. You can take the same exact thing because once you take care of this downside risk, once I'm comfortable on this downside, I'll start looking at growth. I'll start looking at opportunities. I'll start looking at really probably objectively what I should as an investor, right? As, as an investor. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I will only do that once I'm okay, that I'm just not going to, this isn't going to go off the cliff. I'm going to really I'm lose 50%. Right? So once I'm confident with that, I will start looking and I will start paying attention more to these growth I mean, growth opportunities, what I can do to the business, how I, how I can improve it. So really what Mm-hmm. Uh, what I've done and what my mission has, has become in working with entrepreneurs and educating entrepreneurs is say, hey, look, you're going to go through due diligence at the end of the day. Why not be ready for it now? And if you really want to stand out in the marketplace, I'm going to – you can ask me any question. Come in. See my facility. Ask me any questions. It's transparent. I'm going to give you confidence. It's it's kind of like if you were – you know, buying a house and that house had meticulous records and when was the air conditioning filters changed and this is everything we've put in this house in the last 20 years and we've taken care of we've taken care of the roof we've taken care of the we've maintained everything right and so that way when somebody comes in to to, to buy it they see it and they have this confidence uh, or think about it in in terms of a car right a car that had meticulous records and the oil was changed transmission fluid changed here's Every time I've been to the to the mechanic over the years, and then you compare it to one that doesn't, I'm certainly going to give a higher price for the one that uh, had been well maintained in the in the records are there. Right? Even if there was a problem, I say, hey, look, I changed the transmission out four years ago or something. But I'm transparent with it, right? And the pro- the problem you see is when right. certainly if there's a prob- problem that's there. It hasn't been taken care of before that company has gone to market. It's no different than if I put a house on the market and I haven't replaced a, a you know old old air conditioner or something. And I learned this in buying printing companies. You know, we bought uh, printing companies and we had to come in and evaluate all the equipment, you know, all the equipment that was in there, the people that were in there, and if it was well maintained, um, then we'd you know we'd make we'd just make intuitively make a higher offer and formally you make a higher offer after you get through a formal evaluation of all these factors mm-hmm. yeah i mean absolutely i mean whether you're you're consciously thinking about risk or not like the, the more upside like i said the more you know we were willing to probably pay for it um and so you know kind of on the opposite side al you know when you're advising your client on the risk because i think you kind of hit it nail on the head like if you can get out in front of this and you know, be upfront and honest about it, or maybe even making improvements before you go to market to make sure that those risks are lower. Um, I got to imagine in your normal practice, like that's a conversation you regularly have with your clients. And, and you know, and then how do you go about working with them to to kind of 
bring the skeletons out of the closet earlier, you know, improving yeah, on all those things, things there, Nick. before Number you go one, to market. Um, that's kind of become my, my passion over the years. I mean, I won't take a, a, a client on until we do a thorough evaluation. You know, again, we look under the hood. We just look under the hood. We look at everything. And then uh, from a valuation standpoint, again, we may mitigate this risk and say maybe it's too late in the game to make some of these changes, right? But when I teach uh, entrepreneurs early mm -hmm. on, I say, look, start now, right? Start with these things, get, you know, get it set up, have processes, have an onboarding process for your employees, you know, um, make sure that you're, you're, you're looking good on, online, that you're not the entire business, all these kind of things that, that we're going we're gonna to look at in, in, in due diligence and try to get the business owners to do that ahead of time. Then in essence, what they can do, they can sell them their business to themselves. They have a business that can run and operate independently of them. Mm -hmm. The time that they choose to exit the business is, is, is up, up to them where it's not, oh, I have to do it. I have to, I have to, get, to get out of here. So, um, you know, right. we've worked, I've worked with some people, you know, they've run their business into their 80s. Because they see, you know, they're out fishing and they're doing everything they want, and they got a good management team, and they're well mm -hmm. incentivized. And and if they ever want to uh, sell the business, they're certainly going to be able to sell the business, right, at, at any time. But in essence, they've been able to do that to them, to themselves, right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you just you just mentioned another thing. From your perspective, you have some risk too in, in this whole process of, you know, when you're taking on a client, you know, you want to be successful not only for your own you know, purposes, but for also for them and for the new buyer that's coming through. So um, what do you do kind of from a, a risk analysis when you look on, look at bringing on an, a client, um, you personally, like, what are you looking at from a risk perspective yeah, we, um, to we make go sure that you standard, know you can be successful? We do evaluation first and foremost, and, and we use that as, uh, you know, we get, we get paid for it. We do, we do, we'll do evaluation, a formal evaluation. And we say, look, we want to look under the hood. We want to be able to really do a thorough inspection of the company to see and, and, and go through and go through it all. And then we kind of come back to the, to the seller with, with, uh, almost like a gap analysis is here's where we're at. Here's where we'd like to get to. And, and again, what we see, and, you know, we fight it all the time as M&A professionals. Well, this business could do this. What's well, the future of the business? What I tell every single one of my clients or students, I say, look, you know, someone's buying the business today. And this is a little bit different maybe than a theoretical valuation using future discounted cash flows in that when that buyer takes it over, they're going to take over the risk, the responsibility for running and growing their company. So they're not going to pay you up front for it. It's like if I have a house that needs repairs, mm -hmm. yeah, once I repair the roof and repair the paint it and get it in good shape, put a new new carpet, it's worth you know maybe twenty percent more, but I'm not going to sell it for twenty percent more today. Yeah, we often have our sellers come up to us and say, Well, they could do this, a new owner could do this and could do that, could do all this stuff and say, Well, if they do it, shouldn't they get the reward out of it for taking that risk and the responsibility? <laughs> to do it. And if you want to do it and you want to increase your value 50% more, then you need to go right. out there and do it. Now, if you're happy with your value today, I think we can get you this number. And, and But you have to know that someone's going to come in there and say, if you have this going on or that going on. We certainly want to make sure that there's no deal killer risks in there. And, and that could be customer concentration. It could be the owner so involved in the business that he has all the relationships and everything. And uh, there could be a potential potential deal killer risk in there that we'll look at. But um, mm -hmm. typically we'll take a, a, a deep dive into the valuation 
and all these factors that uh, really can in increase or decrease valuation and say, hey, here, here's where you're at. This, this is what the market's paying right now. So obviously, you know, some industries pay a higher, uh, you know, a higher multiple, or higher relative valuation. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the reason why, even like we talk about SaaS, software as a service, you know, 100% recurring revenue, it's because the risk is out of it. You know, it's more predictable. So ultimately, recurring predictable mm -hmm. earnings are going to get a higher relative valuation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I learned mm -hmm. that. I mean, the best lesson I Yeah, definitely the recurring revenue. I ever had. I mean, it's right? the best lesson you ever had. I was at a hockey game, Houston Arrows hockey game, and a um, president of the local EO Entrepreneurs Organization chapter uh, that I was a member of had sold his business. And it was a uh, alarm processing. They monitored alarms and everything, and he sold it for a, 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 a lot. I said, what's the one piece of advice that you give me? He said, find recurring revenue. I said, I own a printing company. How do I get recurring revenue? He said, you need to figure out a way. And that's when we started to kind of contract with these software companies that would install a system into a, uh, mm -hmm. into like a facility, into a Budweiser uh, distributor or something or a dry cleaner. We picked up that. I paid bonuses for newsletters, for magazines, anything that had a recurring flavor to it. Right? Uh, we even had a printing contract. You could have an annual printing contract with us. And we would only increase our price 75% mm -hmm. of what the cost of paper was. And so we kind of guaranteed. And then when when I sold it, we had a, a, a incredibly high valuation. And uh, Russell Vale, who I uh, was at the hockey game with, he was the first person I called when my wire transfer hit. I said, remember that advice you gave me years ago? You know, I did it. I did it in the printing business. He was the very first person I called when, <laughs> when it happened. And so I kind of had set that, uh, set that wheels in motion, you know, several years yeah. before uh, – you know, I sold the business, and the business didn't depend on me. I was able to walk away from it. So that that recurring revenue, all the time, all the time. Is, Anything you can do to minimize risk, to make it predictable. Valuation decreases when uncertainty goes up and risk goes up. So with the core, anything that we can do with our clients to do any type of, you know, recurring mm -hmm. revenue, um, uh, if they can do that, uh, decrease the uncertainty. Um, you know, show that customers stay there year in and year out. That's mm -hmm. what increases value. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do that. So, utilizing yeah, risk. Uh, I mean, maybe not a necessarily risk score, but you know, reducing risk uh, essentially can increase the value. And as an M and A advisor, you gotta maybe look at it differently to to look at it that way. And you know, some might, some might not. But I think if you look at it. Because you kind of hit the nail on the head at the beginning, you're more, you know, exactly. you're going to react, you know, probably stronger to the losing of 50 bucks as opposed to gaining 40. And so if you look at it from that perspective, too, when you're, you know, advising your clients and helping them understand, well, if you if you're if this risk is here, you're going to get less money. They're going to react more to that and be like, well, I mean, if you do the, these the things, seller you're is the get glass more, is like, half full. Is it my correct? The buyer is the glass is three quarters empty. And that risk that you see, yeah, when you, when you do that and say, you know, uh, can you put like a, a system in there, like an yeah. EOS system, right? A, a process that um, uh, that shows it. Can can you just show somehow that you're not involved in the business day? So we literally have a checklist, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to. Most most valuation analysts go through. Um, I don't want to dig too deeply into valuation theory and everything, but this company specific risk, right? So this is really what triggers the value from, you know, a low 
to a high are all these company-specific mm -hmm. risks, and there's standard company-specific risks that are out there. And as you check the box on all these, you significantly increase, uh, decrease risk and increase value. I had a, uh, I have a, a case study that we do at Rice, and, and the, uh, the seller, the business owner, talks to my class. He's my best speaker. He'll be speaking this weekend at my weekend classes. He had a closet company. They installed closets. He was a process engineer, had an engineering de undergraduate degree from Northwestern and a, uh, a master's in engineering from Northwestern, an MBA from Northwestern, I'm sorry. But he came in, he said, he's, I want my business to be a process from the time a lead comes in to the time money hits the bank. I have nothing to do with it. Zero. Just processing people. And he was able to do this. And when we went to market with him, um, mm -hmm. small manufacturing company, uh, one of my valuation mm -hmm. analysts said, I think we should value it here. I said, no, increase the value of you know, 40% because he's he's taking all these risks away that you're going to find in most small businesses. And when we went to market with it, he, he had uh, I mean, just an incredible mm -hmm. amount of interest. And in, in, um, he had a, mm -hmm. he ultimately sold it for well over what we even listed the business for. Somebody came in and, and recognized that factor. He said, man, you, you've totally turn this into a machine. He said, yeah. And I guess, mm -hmm. yeah, why haven't you expanded to Dallas or San Antonio or Austin? He was in Houston because it was a lifestyle business for him. He lived three months of the year in Colorado. And he said, uh, you know, I didn't want to, but if you want to, you can. And the guy said, okay, I'll pay mm -hmm. you $100,000 cash more than you have yeah. invested for. Well, we, we'll take everyone else out of the game. He said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he bought the company, and this is what the buyer has done now. He's expanded yeah. their own business, and it's been successful. But, um, you know, and I tell my students, I say, if he can t remove all these risks from a closet manufacturing company, right, <laughs> you can find a way to do it in yours, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. This has been amazing. And, and Al, just, you know, if anyone was to, you know, watch one part of this episode, like, I think this could be it. For, for, for the M&A advisors out there, if you could just, you know, off the top of your head, you might not catch them all, but um, what are those risks that you want to check the boxes off to reduce um, <laughs> for your client? You know, if, if you can name as many of them as you can, like I said, if there's just one segment that you look at in this whole episode, like this would be it. Yeah, you know, um, obviously, so yeah, so the owner's involvement, the, man, the management the one, team, you know, right? Customer, customer spot. concentration, length of customers, customer turnover, customer churn your reputation in the marketplace, your financials, are they clean, are they audited, are they done according to GAAP, are you gonna get through a quality of earnings uh, evaluation, your contracts, you know, are your contracts um, uh, assumable, huge. I had a deal that did not get done because the contracts were not assumable and we literally, it was a $12 million deal because in due diligence, the buyer said we will not, these contracts aren't assumable, so until we, see that all your supplier vendor that, that that we can assume them we can take them over and he would not he did not want them to talk to the clients right because he was kind of an alternative to he was a big strategic buyer right but with contracts agreement processes what do, what do you look like online do you have a good online presence that's the first place yeah. anyone's going to look at in today's world right right um, they're going to google they're going to see you know you have any lawsuits pop up once you talk about a bad first date. Oh no, no. Google it. <laughs> that's like it's like knowing your your daughter's going out on a date and you Google the person she's dating and and you see that you know they have a worn out form or something, right? I mean, so these type you know, all all these type of things. Processes are really really important. I mean that you know somebody wants to 
by a workplace, yeah. uh, workforce in place, process in place. So, you know, what's your sales funnel look like? What's your pipeline look like? How do you convert sales to orders? What percent do you convert sales to orders? Um, this closet company, he he had his whole pipeline documented for years. This is the number of proposals we gave. This is the number that converted. So when mm -hmm. someone came in and said, hey, you don't have any recurring revenue, they said, yeah, but we, these are the number of leads that we get. Here's where our leads come from. These are the numbers that we convert. So, you know, a lot a lot of it's common sense, uh, but it's hard to do. It's like it's like going on a diet and saying, okay, what do I need to do to lose weight? Well, you need to exercise more, you know, eat a little less, get in the gym. Well, it's it's hard to do, and it's it's – but at the, at the end of the day, you know, you, you end up, you know, you're 70 pounds overweight and, and sort of being, you know, an ideal right. you know, target weight. And same same thing, I think, when it comes to, you know, business, when it comes time to sell, you know, you can be in pretty pretty bad shape or you can be in great shape. And when you hit the market, you're either going to get a higher valuation or maybe a lower valuation and, and all these things that you, that you can do. Um, so that, you know, that's a handful of them. I'm, I'm happy to send... A list, a list of them. If anyone ever has worked with a valuation analyst, they'll mm -hmm. go through these common risks and everything. But I, I think the key, the key takeaway is just to remember that for all these risks that you leave on the table, you're going to pay for it in a much, much lower val yeah. valuation. And once you kind of get these, get that downside, kind of com comfort, you know, comfortable, um, right? And the trust is there, then you're going to get more on the upside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. Al. That's, that's, that's great. I, <laughs> that's really good stuff. So I really appreciate you, uh, you joining us today. Um, and this is going to be, I think one of our best, you know, best episodes because there's a lot of great takeaways, but just a different perspective on how to look at, Thanks, Nick. I appreciate, I appreciate clients, everything you're doing. how to look at the buyer's perspective as they're that's looking cool. at risk. And so really, really appreciate you, you joining us today. Yeah, I appreciate that. And how yeah, can um, I guess where can just everyone, Al at exit, people exit advisors episode, or Al Danto you, at rice.edu. I'm, I'm happy to share. I, you know, I've got a couple books that I wrote, an ebook, stuff like that we use in the classroom. Um, happy, happy to share. Happy to help out. Happy to send stuff. Um, so whatever, whatever anybody needs. Yeah, that's and Al, that's one of the you know we talk about you know, Cornerstone International Alliance and just having really good people. You are one of those really good people willing to collaborate, willing to share, willing to help others out. And so I really appreciate that and really appreciate you and everything that you do for your students, everything you do for clients, everything you do for Cornerstone International Alliance. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and that's all we have for today's episode of the M&A Mastermind Podcast. Um, go check out our episodes at cornerstoneia.com slash podcast. All of our episodes are right there. Um, do Al and myself a favor and like, share, comment, view, um, send to anybody who might find this interesting. And um, thank you for helping us out, Al. Thank you for joining today.